On Second Shot, we tackle two new headlines every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And we want you to be a part of that. When you see a headline you want to take a second shot at, or if you're looking for advice, or just want to tell us what you think of the show, email us at secondshotcast at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, rate us on iTunes. This helps us move up in the ratings so more people will see us. And if you want to hear more, subscribe to the show so that the new episodes will get straight to you every single Friday. We love you. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Heath Oaks is a millennial mogul whose ignorance on fire led him to fail his way to success. Jenny Anchando is an Emmy award-winning journalist whose sharp eye and biting wit have led to her storied career in television. Together, they tackle today's headlines in a way only an odd couple with a dash of perfect opposite can. So kick back, relax, and join the conversation. This is Second Shot with your hosts, Heath and Jenny. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome into the Second Shot podcast. We are flipping the script again for Second Shot because it is Heath's birthday week. And like everybody during this pandemic, he is working like crazy. So I told him, it's okay, babe. I'm going to do my own little version. But here's the plot twist. The plot twist is this. Normally, Heath's here. Zach is here. Matt is here. I got all of them out of the studio. And I am giving you a little piece of Heath's book. The book is called Ignorance on Fire, A Journey of Failing Your Way to Success by none other than my hot hubby, Heath Oaks. And now Brighton just walked in. She may come over and join me. She's got a princess dress on. Um, come up and say hi, baby girl. You got some popsicle on your mouth. Can you say hello? Hello. Hello. So this book was written before our little nugget came into the world. My thinking with this was that, again, our plan is to try to add value each and every week through Second Shot. We're talking about a second shot at life for, for everybody. We're talking about second shots on stories. We're talking about um, a second shot at careers for many people. And nobody's not talking to you. <laughs> You're right. Nobody's talking to me. <laughs> nobody's talking to me. I'm just talking to myself. I'm talking to the people who are going to see the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. She's like, uh, who are nobody's talking back, crazy lady. <laughs> I know this. Yeah, you see it? You're looking good. So parents working from home, we feel you. We are right there with you in the craziness. Okay, that's fine. I just thought that what could be fun is a way to celebrate Heath's birthday. Okay, baby girl. I'll be right out. Um is a is for us to give you a sneak peek at his book to listen to a couple chapters he recorded the audio book himself and as many of you know if you've heard his story and I know this is why some of you are really feel connected to him as he's spoken about his struggle with dyslexia which really wasn't recognized until much later in life and it it made hard you know he barely graduated from high school and has gone on to do wonderful things um including writing this book so i thought what better of a birthday surprise than to kick the guys out and do a little easy listening to the first couple chapters of heath's book i hope you enjoy it stick around until the end because there's a series of questions we're going to go through together um if you're to maybe pause the podcast and get your notes section out on your phone or get a notepad because we're going to do some questions on the other end but for now here it is ignorance on fire by heath oaks in his own word here's a little listen into the audio 
Chapter 1. A Purple Velvet Suit I jammed my finger against the cell phone screen and waited for my mom to answer. I was angry, humiliated, and at 19 years old, felt truly defeated for the first time in my life. More than anything, I just needed the wisdom of my parents, and it seemed like each ring stretched out for hours while I waited, willing mom to answer. My parents have always been my strongest supporters. Even when I decided to leave college and step into the real world on my own, they were close by, cheering me along. When we were growing up, that kind of support was about all they could give my brother and me. We lived in a single-wide trailer parked on a rented piece of land so far out of town we had to pop in sunlight. My brother and I never went without what we needed, but we had to earn everything extra ourselves. Growing up, I always wanted more. More fun, more wins on the ball field, more money, and I would overcome any obstacle to get what I was after. More than once, my parents watched me fail my way forward until I achieved my goal. That terrible afternoon when I was 19 was the first time either of them had seen me ready to give up. Graduating from high school, my plan was to pursue a career in law enforcement. That meant I had to earn a certain number of college credits. But I had gone to school for two reasons, sports and girls. Classes were just something I had to do so I could hang out with my friends. Even if a school would accept me, a classroom was the last place I wanted to be. I wound up at the community college in Tyler, Texas. After three semesters, I'd had enough hours to enter the Criminal Justice Academy. There was just one problem. The minimum age to become a police officer was 21, and I was 19. I had to figure out a way to support myself until I became legal. Finding a paycheck wasn't a problem. Oil is big business in East Texas, and back then jobs were waiting for guys who could do the work. The money was good, but an oil field job meant long stretches away from home. Even if it was only until I turned 21, that wasn't the life I wanted. Something else was out there. I heard an ad on the radio one day about a local car dealership hiring five new salespeople. They were paying a $500 signing bonus. That got my attention. Also, my dad's brother worked at the same dealership 10 years earlier. He died about nine months before I saw that ad, and his loss still hurt. My uncle and I had become close when he moved back to East Texas a few years earlier. While he was away, he would show up at our house about once a year, always in a new Corvette, his newest girlfriend riding shotgun. He was larger than life, and he always dressed apart. I remember one of his suits was purple velvet, and he spent more money on his shoes than some families earned in a month. Those yearly visits gave me just a glimpse of the world that existed beyond Troop, Texas, where I grew up. From the little I had seen, I figured that outside world had everything I wanted in life. Success would mean achieving the same glitzy, fast-paced lifestyle my uncle enjoyed. Working at a dealership he used to manage seemed like a pretty good starting place. So just a couple of weeks after I left college, I bought a $10 pair of dress shoes from a bargain bin store and headed down there for an interview. Since my uncle didn't always leave a job under the best circumstances, I decided not to mention our connection. It might have really helped me, but it just as easily could have hurt my chances. Not only did I get the job, I sold a car the day I started. Within a few weeks, I was the dealership's top salesman. My commission check that first month was more money than I'd ever made in a year. 
it was so big, I forgot all about that career in law enforcement. The next month proved even better, and the money kept rolling in. Without realizing it, I became the kid who did good. I was already earning more money than my parents ever had, and my friends and family looked up to me as a success story. I followed my uncle's example and invested in clothes and shoes to look the part. I didn't have a purple velvet suit, but I learned how to dress with some swag. Life was good. Still, everything wasn't sunshine and roses. I didn't know what exactly, but something was off. As exciting as the income was, watching how business was done at that car lot made me question my uncle's example. In the furthest reaches of my mind, I began to wonder if success might involve something more than a big income. Having a life away from work seemed like it would be one of the best things about finding success. It was one of the reasons I took the job at the dealership instead of going out to the oil fields. It didn't take long to learn that being a car salesman isn't all that different from being a roughneck when it comes to having a life. Also, in my quest to become wealthy, I talked to everyone I could about the best way to achieve my goals. One thing I constantly heard was that building real wealth requires at least one stream of residual income. If you have ever done retail sales or something like real estate, you know what happens the second you quit selling. Your income stops. That is a pretty simple thing to understand, even for a lazy 19-year-old kid who wanted to make a fast buck just retire early. I needed to earn what's known in the sales industry as mailbox money. That's a paycheck that shows up every month, whether you are actually working or not. So I started hunting for an opportunity that would let me make the income I wanted and still enjoy a life away from work. As I was starting my search, one of my dad's friends told me about the insurance industry. He explained how an agent's paycheck is based on his willingness to work and how today's efforts into tomorrow's renewal income. That's mailbox money. He probably told me how much a good insurance agent could help people too. But all I heard was the dollars. It sounded exactly like what I was looking for. So I checked out some job listings and landed an interview with a local agency. My nerves were tight when I walked into that meeting. Being from East Texas, my accent is so thick that sometimes even I can't understand what I'm saying. Despite being pretty successful to that point, I knew I was still a young country boy who had not learned his city manners yet. As it turned out, however, I had nothing to worry about. I had the job before I left. They thought I was all that and a slice of bread. My boots didn't even touch the ground on the way back to my truck. It was disappointing to learn later that they hired everybody who was willing to go door-to-door -door selling insurance policies on straight commission. Right then, though, the future was mine to take. Chapter 2. Oops, I didn't think of that. Have you ever been truly excited about something? Like passing a test or getting a new job? Then come crashing back down to earth when you thought about exactly what came next? That's how it felt when I realized I had to tell my sales manager, Jeff, that I was leaving the car business. The best time to have the conversation would have been when I got to work on Thursday morning. Instead, I decided he looked too busy and chickened out. I blew my next opportunity as well on Friday, since we had some traffic and I didn't want to miss any sales. I finally went to his office on Saturday morning, the absolute busiest time for any car dealership. On my way down the hall, 
I passed a sales board where we tracked each salesperson's deals. The person at the top of the board was the leader, while the one at the bottom brought up the rear. The name at the top? Heath Oaks. Jeff was at his desk, buried in his paperwork, when I rapped on the door and stepped into his office. I don't think this is for me, I said, trying to keep my voice from cracking. He mumbled something, but didn't look up from his work. This isn't what I want to do, I said, trying a second time to get his attention. I found something else. That got Jeff to look up. He stared at me and then pointed to the board in the wall. With a blank look on his face, he said, What do you mean this is not for you? You were at the top of the board. You were always at the top of the board. He blinked. What are you talking about? I shrugged and looked down at my shoes. The nicest, most expensive pair I had ever owned. I don't know, man. It's just not for me. Jeff got up and closed the door, then waved me into a chair. He waited until I sat and then said, You're a natural at this. What is going on? I just want something more, I told him. I mean, I'm here all the time, and when I'm not, I'm worried about the sales I'm missing. So, what is that you want to do? I hesitated before saying, I got a job with an insurance company. Jeff nodded and waited for me to continue. When I didn't, he said, straight commission? Yeah. Well, we know you can sell, so that's not a worry. How long before you start making good money? Good question. I hadn't thought about that. It only took me one day in the car business, so, so I was pretty sure I'd be okay. I shrugged again. Not long, according to what they told me. So why do you think you will like it better? For one thing, when I make a sale, I keep getting paid as long as the people keep the policy. And I don't have to sit in one place. I get to go out and find my own customers. As many as I want. Okay, Jeff nodded. That is fair. I guess. Think you will get the same check next week you would be getting here? Hmm. I hadn't thought about that one either. Once again, I shrugged. Jeff leaned his chair back and scratched his chin, staring at me the whole time. Sounds like you've got your mind made up, but let me point out one thing. You might not see it now, but you have got a great future here. This could be your office one day. He shut up, wisely just letting his words sink in. Yet one more thing I had not considered. My analytical skills weren't very good back then, I guess. I looked around the room. Awards hung behind Jeff's desk. Others shared shelf space with thick binders and bundles of brochures on a couple of plain bookcases. One wall had a two-way mirror that allowed the sales managers to look out on the sales floor. This same office had probably been my uncle's 10 years earlier. Jeff was a great guy, excellent manager, but he wasn't going to beg me to stay. That's not how the car business works. He was giving me some things to think about, though. And what he was telling me, I realized, was that this would be my ultimate goal if I stayed in the car business. Maybe not that specific office, but one just like it at another dealership. After a few minutes, Jeff leaned forward, resting his elbows on his desk. Go home. I'll make sure any deals you have got working are covered. Take the weekend to think this thing over. Then let me know on Monday morning. How does that sound? I nodded, but we both knew I wasn't going to change my mind. He stood and offered me his hand. As we shook, he said, Whatever you decide, you know you have always got a place here. 
I thanked him and walked away from a six-figure income. I wanted to chase my future. About halfway home, I realized there was still one more thing I had not counted on in my rush to leave the dealership. In order to sell insurance and be paid commissions, the state of Texas requires completion of a 40-hour pre-licensing course followed by a passing score on the state licensing exam. Until I accomplished those two things, I didn't have a job. Heath's takeaway for success on action bias. If you wait to start life's journey until everything is ready and you know everything you will need to know, you won't ever take the first step. The best and quickest way to learn something is just by doing it. Now, if you are going to be a brain surgeon or run a nuclear plant, you need to know exactly what you are doing before you make that first attempt on your own. Most of us, however, will never going to attempt brain surgery. So it's important to act before opportunities pass by. For most of us, the most important thing is to quit overthinking things and move forward. You can't take step number two until you take step number one. Mistakes are every bit as sure in life as death and taxes. Doing whatever it takes to avoid them guarantees that you will one day look back on life of fear and regrets. Changing your life, starting a business, or chasing your dreams all take a lot of time and effort to finally get right. At some point, time spent planning, preparing, and learning is just putting you further behind. Take the first step, then take the second one. Before you know it, you'll have stepped your way further than you could ever imagined. One day you will look back and see all the mistakes you made. It's okay to wish you had done some things differently. It's not okay to look back and realize you've wasted your life waiting for just the right time and perfect opportunity. Now take out your pencil and a notebook. What is the single biggest fear that keeps you from taking the first step toward the thing you most want in life? Take a minute to reflect on it. What is the worst thing that could happen when you take that step? Is losing your car because you can't pay your bills the worst thing? Is that really that bad? No. Take a minute to reflect on it. Is what you wrote above worse than being exactly where you are right now in 20 years? You can't take the next step until you have taken the first one. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing his voice. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that fun to hear him read you the little story out loud? Something that I wanted to go through was um, some of the quotes and some of the questions that are asked in the book. If you have the book, then you can kind of go along. If you've read the book and not gone through and completed the exercises, man, just go through and complete the exercises. There is something about writing it down, and you can actually um, write them down right on the pages. So the first one is this. Uh, so so it's, a, it's a book, but it's also a workbook. What is the single biggest fear that keeps you from taking the first step toward the thing you want most in life? What is the single biggest fear that keeps you from taking the first step toward the thing you want most in life? So it's a good one to think about, but if you guys have got a piece of paper next to you, 
I'm telling you, write it down. Putting those fears onto paper can help us to really tackle them. The next question on that, um, on the chapter two of the book is, what's the worst thing that could happen when you take that step? What's the worst thing that can happen? Heath talks about this a lot. Um, I, I think I naturally have more fear than him. He's like a little bit more fearless in all aspects of life. But he always is saying, okay, so you've got the fear. You've identified the fear. Now figure out what's the worst that could happen? Rejection? Okay, that stings, but you're still alive. You're still there. So we'll talk about, you know, say say I have a fear of um, putting myself out there for a, a new job or something like that. What's the worst that could happen? You don't get it? Okay. Well, a lot of other people didn't get it too. You're, you're still alive. You're still breathing. You can still try again. So um, again, the second part of the question, what's the worst thing that could happen when you take that step. Um, it, yeah, he wrote down, if what you wrote above was worse than actually being where you are now in 20 years, you can't take the next step until you've taken the first one. So I really like that one. And then um, I'm going to read you the question at the end of chapter three. Um, and, and one of the quotes here too. Oh, Brighton just walked in. Come over here, baby girl, if you want to. Um, the, the quote here is, it's hard to appreciate the struggle when things are tough. But great reward is usually the result of great struggle. It's hard to appreciate the struggle when things are tough, but the great reward is usually the result of the great struggle. I mean, so what we're saying here is you have to do the work. We have to do the hard work. Can you guys hear Brighton in the background? Come over here and say hi. Yeah, listen, come on over. Why not? People watching the video version will see it. People listening to the audio version may not. Are you coming over? No, because the elephant hurt her knee now. Oh. Because she was saying low, low, Oh, no, because the elephant hurt her knee now. I know you guys are feeling the work from home situation. Um, I'm, I'm there with you. This is the other sort of big nugget, big takeaway in that breakout box section of the book. Too many people approach a new opportunity to be all set up just in case. They want to dip their toes in the water and see what happens. Knowing they have a safe option when notice what I when I said when not if things don't work out if keeping on keeping on is a requirement for success plan B is a guarantee of failure so what he's saying here is if you're always thinking about that plan B you're never going to execute plan A because you always have that thing to fall back on so um, so I think that's an interesting one and if you've got the book you can kind of dive more into that. The other questions that I wanted to go through, and again, this is just sort of like me and you going through the book, answering some questions and hopefully getting to the heart of, of some of the things you're working through. So write this down, write down the answer to this one. Do you usually see an obstacle as a threat or an opportunity? Do you usually see an obstacle as a threat or an opportunity? I know for me, I mean, Mindset-wise, the way that I'm naturally wired, I would see it as a threat. What I'm working on is trying to rewire and see it as an opportunity. Like, ooh, you know, I could figure out, gosh, you know, this segment didn't work, but that's okay because maybe there's a guest that's even better for that or something like that. Um, so, so think about that. Do you usually see an obstacle as a threat or an opportunity? The next question from this chapter three that we can all kind of read through together is, besides reading this book and completing these exercises, what are you doing to maintain a growth-oriented mindset. What are you doing to maintain a growth-oriented mindset? And again, if you've li listened through the chapter, you know what he's talking about with growth-oriented mindset. But um, 
this is one of those things you have to do day to day. It, it, you know, and look, we're all going through a lot right now, so I understand if some of your processes are off a little bit, but is there a five minute chunk of time where you can do some affirmations or where you can devote your time to a positive podcast or you can devote five minutes to reading a book on positive mindset, a book like this, or um, he always talks about Growth Mindset by Carol S. Dweck. Again, since it's Heath's birthday week, I am giving all the Heath love and all the Heath vibes. Um, the, the last question on this section in this chapter we just went through is, based on what you've read in Ignorance on Fire, what steps can you take starting today toward building and maintaining a healthy mindset? Based on what you've read in Ignorance on Fire, what steps can you take starting today toward building and maintaining a healthy mindset? Mindset's tough, but um, yeah, gosh, I tell you what, if you start working through something that you can change and it starts to become more natural. I am like naturally a little bit, I don't want to say Debbie Downer, <laughs> but I'm, more, I'm on the skeptical side of things and this mindset work for me has been transformative in terms of seeing opportunities where um, a few years ago I wouldn't have seen opportunities. So I hope that you're able to go through those questions. I know it can feel a little silly to write things down, but, um, but it makes a difference. The challenge too is to review back, look back at them and see see if your mindset's changing at all. See if the obstacle that came up in the first set of questions, maybe in a month, you'll think, oh, you know what? I don't feel that that's as much of an obstacle. That's what those mindset shifts can do, but you have to be consistent with it. So that's just a little bit of a glimpse at Heath's book for his birthday week. If you want to listen to the whole thing, it's on Audible. You just search Ignorance on Fire. You can grab it on Amazon. You can borrow one from a friend. Um, if you're if if you can't afford one, um, write to us. Post in the Second Shot group. We will send you one. I mean, we just want people to have access to this material because it really, it it can really be something that changes the way that um, your path goes because mindset is so important. So. Happy birthday to my amazing husband. I love doing this podcast with you, babe. I am just so, so grateful for you. Um, gosh, I just, I pinch myself when I think about how blessed I am to be married to you. And um, so that's my little podcast shout out to him. This is a very unconventional episode. So if this is the first episode of Second Shot you're hearing, please do go back and listen to the other episodes. They're, they're much better with the rest of the crew. We just thought we'd do this kind of fun tribute this week. And next week we'll be back to the normal flow of the show. If this show has been at all valuable to you, um, gosh, write us a, a rating or review. In fact, if you're on the video, I can show you how to do it right now. You just go to your podcast app, see right there, and then you scroll all the way down. If you're on iTunes, you scroll all the way down to the ratings and reviews, and then you can click five stars if you like. I hope you give it a five stars. Um, you can also click right there, write a review, and then you'll be able to any kind of thoughts. If you have a guest idea, someone you think who is deserving of a second shot sit down, email us at secondshotcast at gmail.com. I'm also going to give a shout out to our handles and please pop on there and um, give some love to Heath. We would love to hear it. Um, we are at facebook.com slash groups slash secondshotpodcast. We're also on Instagram at 
Second Shot Podcast. We love you guys. We are so thankful to have you going along this journey of life with us. We appreciate you, and we will chat with you next week. Again, the new episodes drop every Friday at 4 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you then.